This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready to go? And you're go shoot go I'm for with it. you guys. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and before we get into it with the returning champion, Fingal Ferguson, my man, let's just talk about a little bit of business, okay? Number one, Total Boat. Total Boat is a great company that started out making products for boaters and DIYers, and they realized that the maker community could benefit from their products. They make epoxies, they make finishes, they make uh, adhesives. I use their two-part epoxy for handle scales for my knife making. I use uh, a lot of their products, especially the UV Cure uh, Clear Resin. It's really great stuff. And and they're working with the maker community. They're very involved in the maker community, and they take your patronage very seriously. So if you go to TotalBoat.com, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. They deal with makers like Keith Decent, Derek from Alden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, Jimmy Duresta. They all use Total Boat and Ben Paik. He's making all sorts of stuff with Total Boat. So if you get yourself some Total Boat, it's great stuff. And they're really, really involved with the maker community. Go follow them on Instagram. They're actually very funny. They put a very funny video up in regards to uh, the snapback commu- the snapback hat community. So go go support uh, Total Boat. They're good dudes. Next is Axwax. Axwax.us. They make great... Uh, all-natural, food-safe wax for your axes, for your handles, for your knives, for your steel. It's terrific stuff, and I use them all the time. I actually use them on not only the wood, but uh, the, I also use them on um, I use them on my uh, on G10. It's great stuff, and it, and, it, and it finishes really well. And You can use it on leather. You can use it on most things. It's all-natural, food-safe, so there's no petroleum byproducts in it, and it makes you feel better about yourself. So go get yourself some Axe Wax. Go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, or if you're in the UK, you can use ukknifesupplies.com, use promo code FULLBLAST10. If you're at Australia, nordicedge.com.au, they're taking FULLBLAST10. In the EU, Keith Colby is taking FULLBLAST10. And back to Australia, the guys at Gamaco. The guys at Gamaco got a nice message from Ronald Knives, and they and Gamaco wants to take your full blast ten for that axe wax. So Corin and all those guys are taking the full blast ten. So muchos gracias, Corin and all those guys, Ronald Knives. I appreciate it. Go get yourself some of that axe wax and save yourself some money with the full blast ten. Okay. Next thing is akinteractive.com slash full blast. Andreas Kalani's doing some new things. He's still doing websites. He's fixing your he can fix your website. He can help you with your website, your logos all your things. He's a knife maker, but before he was a knife maker, he started doing uh, uh, building websites for corporations and identity. He will make you a mobile-friendly website if you need it, and he will make your life easier because if your website is more user-friendly, that means you don't have to fool around with in the DMs with people saying, hey, remember when I asked you about that thing? You can't. That's the problem with the DMs. You can't like categorize the, the messages so all of a sudden you're like who was it who said have you ever seen seen those uh, stories where people say was it who was it who wanted that don't do that get yourself a good website and stop fooling around next thing is is uh andreas kalani if you go to akinteractive.com slash full blast and fill out the paperwork he'll figure out what you need maybe you just want your logo redesign he can fix that for you uh if you wanted it vectored or something you want you have you got a drawing and you want to put it on the computer he can fix it for you or you know what here's the thing if you wanted to get t-shirts made and they need you to have a vector file he could do that too 
But what he's going to be doing next is he's got AK University, where I'm going to help him out when he gets it really rolling. So he's going to be teaching classes out of his shop in California, and it's going to be really interactive, and it's going to be a great opportunity. Andreas Kalani's studied under the best. He's a terrific guy. I enjoy talking with him. I support him. Um, guys like Charlie Lionheart, Mike Tyree, and, and Steve Schwarz are all used uh, Andreas Kalani's uh, for his for his websites and he did a great job. So go support him, akinteractive.com slash full blast and follow Andreas Kalani on Instagram and find out what he's going to do with AK University. I'm going to help him however I can, okay? Andreas, you are the man. Last but not least, many, 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 many thanks to Broadbeck Ironworks. They sent me this surface grinder that's been a huge help to me. Uh, I love their grinders. I've been using their grinders before they were with Knife Talk. They, I got a message from them and they wanted to work with me and I, they sent me the grinder and I already have a couple of the grinders and I thought to myself, ah, another grinder is okay. This is my number one grinder and I love my other grinders. But when I am going to use one of the grinders, I go straight for the Broadback every time. It's just something about it, man. It's it, it's super user friendly. It's well built. It works like a champ. All the the attachments are very easy to change. You can take the platen out with just a couple of twists from the handles. It's not like you know these wrenches. It's very very intuitive, horizontal, vertical. It's a great grinder. So go get you, if you're gonna if you're thinking about getting a grinder, really consider the value you'll get from Broadback because all their attachments are awesome, and they make also they're doing. Sewing, they're selling sewing machines. I believe they're selling other things like kilns too, and they're also selling um, abrasives. They're also selling uh, leatherworking uh, uh, sewing machines. So get yourself some of that over at BroadbackIronworks.com. If you put in promo code uh, Knife Talk, you can get upgraded to the Mareco Platin if you're going to get that two by seventy two grinder. And keep follow them on Instagram and. What'll happen is you're going to notice they're going to have lots of sales. Like they have sales all the time, and they and they're also promoting this new sharpening system they have. They're 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 the they're a company to watch, and they're knife makers making grinders for other knife makers. So thank you so much, Broadback Ironworks. Uh, the guys are going to come on at some point soon, and we're going to talk stuff. Okay, guys, thank you so much. All right, my friend Fingal Ferguson's back. And I am so happy that you're here, Fingal. Thanks for putting up with a little bit of technical difficulties, but <laughs> hey, we Tiger. figured it How out. You, you were the man. How have you been? Oh, I've been good. I've been good. Uh, lots. Oh, God, there's so many things coming from different sides. It's kind of busy peak season here in Ireland, but you know, they can't complain. Nice to nice to be busy. You, do you think you can come a little bit closer to the mic? Just I can indeed. Yeah, Is that better? Go. That my okay. man. One thing that we have you haven't really touched upon uh, since you know we've talked is. You were involved in this incredible documentary with Sam Dunn and Rory Connor and, and mm. Lucas Scannell of Cauliflower Forge. Tell us about this documentary, The Small Steps. Well, The Small Steps was an interesting... Um, okay, well, I suppose the bigger part of it was that the wonderful gentleman behind it, um, Colin Norris, who's behind uh, Coop, um, Media Coop, and he's... Um, so he's actually a relation of my wife's. So there is this this wonderful connection where where Kali had sort of always had an obsession with kitchen knives and actually has knives from most of us, from Lucas Gannel and from myself and and um, I'm sure the others. And uh, I think that maybe from his time down here and everything else like that, there is this boom in Ireland, just like the rest of the world, where you're, you're actually seeing the growth of, of, I suppose, us knife makers and especially in the culinary side of things. And... The interesting part of the story is that the 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 Don, like the the original guy, Rory Connor, is is 
somebody who's never really blown his own horn or has never had it blown loud enough, I think, to 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 show him the kudos because he's been doing it for since I was a teenager. Hmm. So he he actually went and trained with um with uh, Rob, you know, from from RWL, like from from Rob Loveless himself, and I think spent spent wow God, weeks, I think, over there. That's that's training with a, him directly. That's that would be quite a time. I mean, Bob yeah. Loveless is like the synonymous with that style, that American style. Yeah, and I think that he's kind of the character like Hunter S. Thompson, you know, the sort of the the, yeah. the train the train thingy hat and the sort of the. I mean, definitely a character and somebody I would have loved to have met. Um, so I, I, what was interesting was that I suppose he came over to Ireland and at a young age was sort of starting to make his knives with this experience behind him. And then at a time when, you know, you couldn't go on the internet and find these things and you didn't have YouTube and you didn't have anything else like that. And uh, he always had so much time to teach other people. And so even, you know, me as a little brat and other kind of people who go up there and always kind of meet him. I mean, my, my family always, when we want to get a very special gift for somebody, would go to Rory and ask him and commission him to make a knife. And that led to to sort of me being fascinated by putting him on a pedestal as somebody who makes this very cool thing for these right. very special occasions and was a tool. You know, again, food-obsessed Fingal was, you know, and it, it definitely put me in the path to become a knife maker. So the just to, to kind of kind of go back to the point rory showed me the ropes he also showed sam dunn the the ropes as well and glenn gareth and um and luca who's probably learned with myself has also communicated with rory so i think what was lovely was to see this passing down of knowledge through i suppose not to say the generations but <laughs> is there a lack of a better word i suppose like from rory to me from me down to to, to somebody else now again I, I i i'm not somebody who's taught luca i've just been part of his experience in knife making but that was part of the what was what was kind of wonderful was to to sort of i think give a bit of kudos back to rory and it was filmed so well i mean as like this beautiful video that you did recently it just goes to show that with a bit of care and thought somebody with the right skill and time and and concentration you can put together something that's truly captivating that you do want to to watch and you can see the so I, I'm I'm always excited when I hear somebody wants to come down and professionally film something because the difference is phenomenal from um, a quick bing bang bosh bit of filming to a professional filming. Well, that's the thing about editing. You know, that's yeah. what I remember when I, I did something and and I, I was saying to my business partner Tony, I hope they make this look good. He goes, "Don't worry about it. You just say whatever the hell you say, and they'll take care of it in the editing. The editing saves the day." Yeah. Yeah. Back to what you were talking about with Rory and Bob Loveless. Hmm. Bob Loveless was, you, you're right. There is like a Hunter S. Thompson character quality to him. I mean, one of the things he had this crazy, like, train conductor's hat with like a Rastafarian colors on it, just like totally not what you'd expect. And yeah. he was big and tall. And I just remember one of the quotes he said is, it, I'm, obviously, this isn't the exact quote, but it was along the lines of, there's nothing better than being able to take raw ingredients or raw material and, and, and forcing your will upon them to create something that lasts generations, like a knife. It was very much along the lines of mm. how a lot of people think about knives. One of the things I guess I wonder is, I know that you use, now the Bob Loveless style bolt. Yeah, is, the Loveless bolt. Yeah, The Loveless bolt is a threaded rod and then there's two nuts 
and then they mm. get cut off. So you see the threaded rod in the middle between the bolts when the handles all cut together, right? Mm. Isn't that right? Yeah, it is. I, I mean, it, in some ways, it was a very basic principle. I mean, okay, so before, is it fair enough to say it was the first kind of engineered bolt? I mean, does I it precede? Does, does it precede Corby and does it precede any other form of engineered I mean, it doesn't kind of bolt? A because rivet. It, doesn't, it doesn't precede the concept of a rivet, but it's um, in regards to mechanical bolts. I don't, I don't know, one hundred percent sure. Yeah, because I suppose like a, a um, well, the the rivets are kind of more compression fit, right? So right. that would have. I mean, you always see old Sabatiers and things like right. that that are held together with that. I mean, right. they must they go back to I don't know whatever time. So I imagine through leatherwork and everything else, you know, rivets were always there. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of knew of them before I knew of any of the other Corbys and those things, and they're all very hard for me to get when I was what twelve years ago. Probably started to make knives, uh, but maybe more. Maybe it's more, interesting but, uh, that you guys have. I mean, it's clear that that has tra- that that just using the loveless bolts, and I know to use loveless bolts because I see them sometimes in your work. No, oh, all the time. I think they're in every every one of my full time knives, and is that still comes from. Thing. The passing down the information from from Rory, which probably yeah, passed it's, down it's the a tip, information. It's a tip from, of the hat. It's a tip of that to it. I think yeah. I think that you you were the first person I think to sort of I suppose challenge me in respects to was it you or maybe other friends? I'm sure you're not the only one, but to mention that you know you weren't a fan of Loveless because of the exposed sort of the ability you could actually see the 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 the, the nut itself or the bolt and and the connection between the two. And I sort of liked that exposed yeah. um, engineering. And I sort of celebrated it. I think somebody just referred to it as a bird's eye. You know, the, the, that that kind of made sense to me, as opposed to a Corby boat, which would be completely flush and, and almost you don't see any of the mechanism behind it. But um, I think it was also just what was available to me. And you work with what you've got and what you've been shown. And, you know, it, it, until something better came along. But, yeah, then I just said, yeah, that's it. Nice Stubbornness kicked in. <laughs> it's nice to see this kind of like connection. You know, mm. like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, you know, the game of eight, eight degrees of three degrees of Kevin Bacon. I mean, that's like the three, de- that's your three degrees of Bob Loveless. You know, it's like, <laughs> okay. you know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden there's this, there's this one generational direct, uh, you know, relationship to one of the best knife makers in the world who, mm. you know, who was incredibly important to, you and know, who, the- who, who wants to, to mirror finish that many knives? I mean, that, that was something else. I mean, every, almost every one of them was sort of mirror polished, wasn't it? And that's but how he did- kind of. He kind of got obsessed. He was originally the ATS-34, and I think he engineered RW or, or was part of the process. Um, no, wait. ATS-34 was his steel. And I think out of tribute to him, Damasteel made RWL-34. Is that, hmm. is that? I think that's the way to I go. I don't but know. They're, they're almost identical. They're almost identical in composition, I believe. So I think that was a true tip of the hat. Actually, one of my favorite things about... Did you ever see one of the Bob Loveless knives. And if you look at the knife as a maker's mark, he has a naked woman lying on her side, kind of with her head on her on her in her hand, you know, kind of lying like a sort of a chaise long kind of type thing. You know, boobs out as with as much detail as you can give a knife edge. It was <laughs> leaves a lot to the imagination. But the <laughs> clever thing was when you flipped it over, it was the same woman, but it was her bum from behind. I so tried to get side, side A is a naked naked girl on her side with our you know Bob Loveless knives written underneath it. You flip the knife to the other side, which normally wouldn't have the maker's mark on it. It was the same maker's mark, but it's the it's the back of of the woman, and you can yeah. sort of make out her bum. I thought I, it, was, it was a small period he did that. Apparently, it's not all his knives. It was just one, I think one one period of his life apparently where he did that. 
I think I tried to find like a hat or a t-shirt, like the Bob Loveless t-shirt with that woman on it. I thought I was really, it's very, it's, it's, he's very, there's an irreverence to him considering he's, you know, his work is so classic and is so classic. But what's interesting is, is how you and you have, you, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent, I'm not as familiar with Rory's work. But like you guys do more culinary stuff, I'd imagine you do. I know. So Bob Loveless, Rory, was known Rory, for- Rory did did a little bit of everything, and 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 a true man of, of his skill. Like he he was never he never bound himself. Like I think he was done everything from sheath knives and amazing with leather work. And he does a lot of he's a little bit of everything. He's very skilled that way, and I think a huge inspiration to anybody who's ever contacted him for help. Um, but one of the I suppose one of the I, yeah, I, I've always been obsessed with the culinary side of things, and he's definitely done. I suppose you could nearly say fifty-fifty, but I, I don't know what it's like of late between culinary and and sort of maybe utility knives. So let's go back to the small steps documentary. Yeah. Which, by the way, if you want to watch this documentary, you can go to a Fingal's Instagram page, and then there's a link to his bio, and then in the bottom of the bio, there's a link to the. It's a Vimeo video. So yeah, I, I got sent the I got the sent the link by 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 Kali, and that's yeah that that's from media. And there's there, I think it was a team during COVID. There was um, a group of them got together looking for a project to, to sort of put their skill set together, and and sort of it was a showcase. And I think it was just something very dear to them that they, you know, and it was a great excuse for them to come down to West Cork. <laughs> so we're very grateful you, to them for sharing the post. Oh, it you, also it also won an award at the um, uh, the the Fastnet Short Film Festival as best documentary. So that was the congratulations to the guys for that. It's exciting, but I'm I'm just wondering like when they thought about the whole idea. I know that there was there will part of it was the relationship the four of you had in terms of. I didn't know that you guys all were kind of like students of Rory, but Mm. I thought to me, I thought about more about the geological, you know, you guys were part of this. Oh, I'm half an hour drive away from, I'm half an hour drive away from, from Rory and Luca lives the other side of the hill from me here. And then in the opposite direction, Sam Dunn is another sort of 15 minutes drive away from Rory. 15. Yeah, yeah. So like wow. he's in he's in Glengariff, Rory's in Ballylicky, I'm in Skull, and Luca's also here. In, but he's actually moved up to Dublin at the moment. So, so I mean, that is an incredible. I mean, you, there there was that idea of the relationship you all had. I kind of didn't get that there was that everyone was a student of Rory's, but it was it was a. Fun... Well, I, I don't think you, you, the, the funny thing is, is how you kind of structure because at the time it's it you can look back and say student of, and and I mean this out of respect because we were, but right. at the time. We were like just kind of getting our kicks out of making knives as, as rudimentary as we were. And I, um, like I'd done a couple of courses and, and to do a course, you feel like you're a student of somebody, but to actually go to somebody's house who's stopping everything they're doing to actually tell you and show you something, you know, you know, f- purely out of the kindness of their heart. I think somebody like that needs more of more kudos than anybody teaching a course. I think I learned more in my little visits to Rory than I probably did during any of the, the courses I've done. That's unfair to the courses, but you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I, I have to admit that, that I think that it goes back to the generosity of Rory. And you can see that through the documentary when you're watching it. And what was lovely was that we, um, during the, the, the Fast at Film Festival, uh, Rory and his kids came in and Sam Dunn drove over with his, his wonderful wife and I was in there as well. And we were, it was being shown in the upstairs room above Hackett's Bar and they had the screen on. 
and they were running through there was sort of a a, a rotation of all the award winning and and the sort of the documentaries and different shows that were being put on for the festival so we we rocked up for that and it was great to kind of just all meet up in the pub and <laughs> join together for for a pint and watch the um and watch the documentary together and and sort of get everybody because it has probably been years since we've actually worked together you know i see more of sam dunn now than i do see of rory um but it's uh it was nice to get together I, they did one of the things i noticed and and correct me if i'm wrong how is it that the three of you the four of you irish men are were so are so eloquent. I find that like maybe it's like some sort of like Flannery O'Connor thing or some sort of no. Actually, I think Irish all of the Irish, writers all of the Irish guys. Yeah, you guys all, are so well spoken. All I'd say that to a lot of the other guys. Well, I mean, well, is it fair enough to say Ireland has a very good educational system? I don't um, know. We, <laughs> I think we I have do. No I, idea. Think, I, th- I think it is quite celebrated that the, the and I think that there is also. I mean, there's a humbling side to to the Irish in some ways. I think as well that, I, you know, I, I suppose there's there's many other knife makers now, Hugo Byrne and and Sam Gleeson, and I could keep going uh, about the amazing. And if you want to catch up with more of the Irish knife makers, there's the Association of Irish Knife Makers. If I have it right, dot org is um, a website that one of the great um, makers here put together. I believe it was Brock Knives. I could be wrong about that, but it was. Um, he made a list of all the all the makers in Ireland, and it's amazing. From from I suppose the three three or four people in the beginning um, that I know of. I mean, there's there's many more now, and all of them I find are interesting, and and many of them are not full time, but every one of them is interesting. Yeah. I, I, I would happily hang out with any one of the other knife makers. I I have not fallen out. Or I don't think it's possible to fall out with any of them. Um, I think everybody's doing it for all the right reasons, if that's fair enough to say. Is there is there a, a be, the educational is the educational system in Ireland that well? Well, I mean, it, it's not a it's that well uh, lauded. I, okay, I suppose one way of putting it, I, I'd say so. I mean, like you well, look at I mean all the Irish first writing world, is uh, Irish yeah. writing is is historically classic. Well, that, that, there's different things. So I suppose the gift of the gab and the expression of the Irish and, and that whole thing, I mean, that stems from our background and, and the, the, the translation of the Irish language into English itself. If you directly translate the words, word verbatim, it's going to sound like poetry. Yeah. Like if I say, well, you know, um, if I say go close the door in Irish it should be the door. Can you close? I'm saying that wrong, but it's, it's you know, what I'm getting yeah. at. It, it, it's, it just, yeah, it's just... It, it it kind of comes out that if you think of the musicians, if you think of the poets, they thought in Irish that they were translating into English and they therefore created this this beautiful um, sort of turn of speech. And that combined with perhaps the hard times that Ireland's been through as well, probably brought an, an, an ability to probably say what you wanted to say without saying it, <laughs> almost like talking huh. in code. And that probably comes from, you know, the hard times through the famine and, and, and the English and, and those sort of side of things. But uh, that, again, as all the bad things that happen in life, you know, something good can come out of these things if you look for it. Now, there are many better people than myself to explain the beauty of the Irish language. and But then that one element of it, I suppose, of, of how we speak and the turns of phrase. Oh, the way, you know, Ben Snare, uh, he like he can he can absolutely just 
I smile from ear to ear when he tells stories and tales. He's fascinating. And I think that the, the turns of phrase that you probably have in Texas and down south, you know, like they're, they're quite fascinating. I think the Irish kind of share their own. All the world does. In some ways, there are these little ways of just making a point and, and bringing it home and just putting a little bit of a twist on it, you know, to, to make it magical. And, I get and messages then, from listeners who say, I could listen to Fingal all day. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. They'll say I could listen to him speak all day because well, there is. I'm going to need proof of that later. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you, this is now you're on the hook. Now you're on the hook. You, yeah, you know, yeah. I, but it is interesting because I do get messages saying I could. I, I do. I, I've had more than probably say about five or ten messages over the years of people saying I can listen to Finkel talk about anything all day. There well, is something about me to say, but yeah, I, th- I, I can talk a lot of shit too. But let's <laughs> you talk your shit. But you talk shit in this beautiful manner. It's the most beautiful okay. shit talking of all time. I mean, it's poetic. Right, well, so keep the shit talking going. Like so the yeah, you you have that Irish language thing. I suppose our educational system changed and, and kind of went down its own path. And I feel like we were actually a, a, a country that probably wanted to be masters of many skills as opposed to master of one. So I found our subjects were taught in school. You didn't go into too much detail when you're too young you actually were given a broader spectrum of things to allow you the time to sort of find whatever you were into and that maturity then kicked in in time for you to choose a path. I hope that is it was would be fair to say to a lot of people. Um, and then I think after that, colleges and university, but we're, we're, we originally, you know, there is the background and history where I suppose the, the Irish monks and that kind of side of things. But then again, there's not many good things could probably be say as well about, about probably that as well so i i think of late now we've had a lot of companies that have come to ireland you know googles and the apples and all these people to set up their bases there and i i'd like to think that that there is probably uh, you know a good reason for that are actually the 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 people themselves and how, it, we, how we but your mom that. was also a playwright uh, her her father her father, father yeah was a her father was a playwright and he but he was the most bohemian motherfucker you ever met in your life he was fantastic the stories I could tell you about him you, you know they they both make your blood run cold but at the same time you'd still love the fucker at the end of it you know he was well, give me one. he was magic give us oh, one I'm not not my point no because you know the funny thing is is that I suppose I could probably start telling you stories that maybe nostalgically warm warm my heart and and kind of connect me to him and i think he there was tough love um but yet at the same time you couldn't help but love him because he was um you know he was a lovable rogue who who married again moved to spain and and fell in love with the gypsies in the south of spain and so this is a wild part of of spain itself but you know the you know do you know what i mean about the lovable rogue and these sort of the these those kind of characters that you can just yeah i suppose to what the vast majority of the world would look down on um, the rascal. And, 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 yeah, and, but yet you can't help but but love and look at them and just see see some of the beauty in it. You know, the, these you know often the best dancers, the best musicians, the best storytellers, the 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 people. There's never a dull moment, but um, at the same time, there's there's, there's negatives you can, that can be said as well. Of course, yeah. I mean that's the I you know that's the whole the, the lovable rogue the rascal character those are classic I had lots of friends who were that kind of character you knew that they were bound for some bad times but you couldn't help but you know appreciate them as a friend yeah it's you, fun to go for the ride actually you said something that kind of uh, was one of the things that I kind of wanted to touch upon you were talking about nostalgia and uh, today is actually Fourth of July and uh, one of the things that. My family and I, we don't eat a lot of meat, but when when it comes to there are four holidays, 
where my wife is like, there is going to be meat on the menu and don't fuck it up. Thanksgiving? <laughs> no, it's serious. I mean, we could be, I mean, I'm telling you, it's crazy. It's like, we, we're not vegetarians or vegans. I mean, we can be, but like we choose not to, but we just, reduce, reduce we t- we just tend to not eat that much meat, yeah. but there yeah, are. Have you heard things. you've heard that expression, haven't you? I've heard of, I haven't I've heard of a lot of I've heard of fruititarians and I've heard of dumpster divers and stuff like that and I I heard a lot of things I don't reducitarian I haven't heard of. <laughs> yeah, I, but, I like it. It 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 gives you an excuse to have meat every so often. <laughs> unfortunately, it's unfortunately we've come up with too many like pigeonholed black and white answers for what people are and it's just like it's just like look I just don't eat that much meat but it doesn't mean I'm like a you know crazy person so Thanksgiving New Year's Eve New Year's Day and 4th of July are like four important holidays food holidays that my wife and I love and it's very like on the on the book so they were away last week and my wife said don't forget 4th of July is coming up so we need ribs wings we need wings we need uh, a potato salad, uh, smoked barbecue beans, and all the all the fixings and corn. That's like for okay. for Fourth of July. That's what you want. And it brought me back because I made ribs, and it's interesting because we all, you and I, well, we know someone in common, uh, Bill Durney. And oh, Bill, when amazing. when when I think about. And I was talking to my kid about this last night. We were eating bar. We I got baby back ribs, which is just like a nothing to write home about special. And I was explaining to my my kid that now I make knives for barbecue guys, competitive gar- barbecue guys. I'm sure you do too. You're a competitive barbecue guy. When I was younger, there was no there was it was known that in New York there was no good barbecue. And part of it was because you couldn't have smokers in the middle of Manhattan. Yeah. Be, you, you, there was no way to vent the smoke for so all these restaurants had didn't or have the lugging, lugging the wood back and forth or there was all no capability that, in yeah. New York so it took a long when I was growing up there was a place called Tony Roma's and it was like they boiled ribs and they slapped them in the oven with some barbecue sauce and they brought them to the table and they were gray meat and it slid off the bone and it was like to me it was the greatest barbecue like I had no idea like mm. I couldn't appreciate what now is considered a good barbecue because it's just like that's what I I was so ex- the nostalgia of it. So I was telling my kid I was just like, you know, I got involved with this, you know, and then later in life my dad wanted to do the smoking and we're smoking and the barbecue, the rings and the sixteen hours, this and the thing. And I turned to her and I said, you know, I would take boiled ribs, boiled and baked ribs over the finest ribs. And it's because of nostalgia. Nostalgia, yeah, I got you. I, we have the same one here. I mean, we don't have the, the same kind of quality and barbecue background in any kind of formal way. I mean, our barbecue more or less meant burning sausages on one of those aluminium trays with right. the fuel, fuel injected lumps of recompressed charcoal things. And I, I think it, it's, it's a new fad that's, I mean, cooking over fire is a history, but it was never celebrated and kept going as a tradition. And so I think it is definitely something that came back thanks to Francis Malman and all the other wonderful people who've been doing that. But I, I remember my wife no longer has any patience for any badly smoked foods because I probably nearly poisoned her in trying to get the hang of it, you know, over the years and trying to learn how to use a smoker and do that because it just was one of those obsessions I, I, I connected to and I wanted to learn more about it. But it it for me, I mean, for me, it was a newer trend. Like I remember, there was a place that opened up in Long Island City. But this is before 
Billy Durney came in mm. with hometown, um, with, hometown, with barbecue, hometown yeah. barbecue. And this is before I met all these guys down South. Like, I mean, obviously down South and in Texas and the, the places mm. where they were barbecuing for generations upon generations, it was just at the highest level. Yeah. The funny part was, was my dad called, I remember when I was probably 12, my dad says they found a restaurant in North Carolina that will send barbecue in the mail. And this is before the internet. This is before any of that. He had a, he had a, all of a sudden he says, I ordered some food from this place and there's going to, we're going to have real barbecue is being sent to my apartment. I remember coming home into the house being like, what is going to happen? There was this giant, to me it was giant, this styrofoam cooler filled with barbecue from a place called Porky's. And it was frozen barbecue from the restaurant and we we thought it and we ate it and it was delicious and it was different but it was same but it was like i was just like you know this kind of tastes like the stuff we have here in new york because it was probably boiled and put in the oven and stuff like that. it probably wasn't like the real shit and i just have this feeling this memory and i i, I made a barbecue store a barbecue brisket for this guy uh who's friends with bill Durney and and um all these guys and and uh, his name is Ed Randolph. He's got an award winning place up here, and he actually got my my he actually got the tattoo of my uh, of the knife I made for him on his arm. Wow! And he brought me back all these all these ribs and biscuit, and I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. And I'm tasting. I'm just like, hey, you know what? I still liked that shit I had when I was a kid. You know, hmm. it was weird. It was strange. It's a, like I think that maybe our tastes can change. But we have this fond, fond memory for that nostalgia of what we've been eating. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. And like the comfort foods and these things that, yeah, that, that, that make you kind of happy. But the enjoyment when you probably, I mean, I, I haven't been, I, actually I have. I've, I've been to Austin and I've been, I've traveled on a small bit and I, I you know, went to some great places and eaten great barbecue scents. In fact, this year again will be the Big Grill Festival here in Ireland. And um, I'm hoping that um, Billy Durning and the rest of the characters, I don't know who is coming over yet. I haven't seen. Actually, I do have the lineup here somewhere, but there will be some of these amazing characters coming over and actually either bringing some of the ingredients with them or or sourcing them. Because that's the interesting thing. Our beef and your beef are very different. USDA and, and Irish grass fed. And that makes a hell of a difference. But the techniques and you know, some things just don't travel down through the Internet <laughs> You know, smells and texture and all that kind of stuff that that is really the bit that makes the difference um but yeah apl you know adam perry lang and and all those wonderful guys who who just make your mouth water you know waiting to try this stuff but uh you did um did fourth of july kind of go well or you actually well, you you're eating tonight though is that it we that ate be- last night oh you 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 peaked you peaked you had the third well, of july <laughs> well we have to well here's the thing we did it we decided to do everything on the third because we have to go back to work on the fifth so I wanted to have a few pops. I wanted to have some drinks. And, and then I also wanted to talk to you today. And, and hit, my wife wanted to just kind of like sit in the sun. And so we, we'll have a little something tonight. But I mean, the 4th of July was celebrated yesterday. And then they had the fireworks last night on the 3rd. So this is like, this is like Sunday before going back to work. So it's yeah. not really, this isn't the day to kind of go crazy. However, in the fourth, for, I don't know. This is something. This is a relatively new thing. But like dogs across the country are like freaking out because they I hate know the fireworks. the fireworks. Yeah, <laughs> it's bizarre. We, like I never knew this. Really knew about this until I had dogs, and one of my dogs was like paralyzed with fear with the fireworks. Yeah, they're, they're actually they're, they're kind of banned here in Ireland, so it can only be officially done through um, 
through sort of organized and official kind of events to do to do fireworks properly you can't go into a shop anywhere in ireland and sort of buy firecrackers or anything like that i remember everybody's upset you used to be able to drive up to the north and get them and you know get bits and pieces but it just means when you do have a proper fireworks display that it's it's quite mesmerizing to kind of catch it because it's it's a rarity and it's done well so take me back to to the grill fest Okay. How many? Uh, how many people will be? It's it's so. Tell me what's what's it about and what's well, going to happen. There's a couple of great festivals in Ireland. Uh, um, I think food festivals, and this is one of the great ones because it's entirely based around about kind of. There's a wonderful friend called Andy Noonan and and friends of his who set the the event up over the years. Um, I mostly spend, you know, Andy has become a great friend over the years. So, what we kind of find. I suppose how to simplify it is that he celebrates wood fire cooking. So you have people from all over the world that not there's the music, there's the food, there's activities. So everybody kind of buys their tickets, come to the events. It's three days, I think Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And what happens is that all the characters we kind of know from around the world are suddenly one place together. It's a very dangerous gathering because we all kind of, you know, trapped in Dublin together you know surrounded by alcohol booze and 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 knowing you have to be up all through the night cooking food or doing anything else like that can lead to lots of bad behavior but yeah it 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 allows i think us irish who've kind of through media fallen in love with american barbecue or i suppose to actually go above and beyond and to use fire to actually cook things probably like they would have been or to go out of your way to to cook something with fire that you that you wouldn't normally do because you could just turn on an oven and doing it in ten minutes. Right. Th- there is a reward of cooking over open flames or or the, the smoke, the influence, the the you know all the 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 magic that comes from cooking over wood. And I mean, I could bore the living pants out of you by going into the sort of the whole process about the the smoldering points of sort of wood and how go wood into is ba- it. Well, wood wood is largely based of of sort of you know it, it's it's carbon. So what happens is uh, not carbon the, the so this is my head cold kicking in now. But wood at different temperatures will break down into different compounds. So what will happen is that you actually have at different temperatures a release of different things. So that's why you often see people referring to the sort of having blue smoke and you want to see you want to see kind of a light um colored smoke. You don't want to see the black puffs of smoke coming out of, of anything because that's the bitter acrid smoke and you, you kinda of, or else you don't want to see any smoke at all. You just want to have coals and embers that kind of do the cooking for you. And different woods that cook in different ways. You know, that like oak, for example, kind of turns into charcoal as it smolders down, whereas beech kind of breaks down into ash. They all kind of give off great different flavors like alder and you know, all the American woods I couldn't probably explain very well. But what happens is that the there is a sort of a science, there's a logic, and you can definitely talk about it, but so much of it is instinctual. So what's interesting is is sometimes doing doing more with less, or I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but you know, to actually light an open fire and cook something without burning yourself or the food and to be able to control it, to actually nail it and to either do a very long controlled cook or something or to do a very quick, hot, fast cook and get all the timing right and not, let it go to shit because you know you do actually have burnt flavors and horrible things that can go wrong so experience is a huge part you have to spend most of your time either burning food and getting it wrong to learn not to do it again and also to not to make an experience that's fun that you're not panicking while also sharing this experience with friends who are coming to visit or or to feed people professionally that's a whole different ball game as well you know because i suppose 
like uh, actually i've later been falling in love with watching some videos on 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 literally on on the cowboys on the on the trail and how they would have cooked you know everything from cowboy coffee to whatever else i mean every culture has their own means of cooking over wood and and i think that because i kind of fell in love with smoking the food in ireland because of the irish tradition of of smoked foods i kind of just got onto that that wagon of learning about what else you can do and, and as soon as you you can kind of see the, the the these wonderful masters who who make it look so easy i i kind of wanted to learn more and i wanted to kind of share that that knowledge or not be learn that knowledge from them and actually kind of until i could get to the point where i felt more comfortable so there's a great friend of mine ted and ted is from sweden and he is a company called wildside catering and i've i've often done a lot of cooking events with him and that's feeding anything from 150 to say 350 people. Wow. When I was younger, I did an event where we fed, I think something like 700 people all over wood fires. The, the whole event was nothing but wood fired. <laughs> and you know, and the big grill festival will have thousands of people will go through that festival. So the logistics of doing it are kind of quite challenging. So the consistency, and like I said, all food comes down to consistency. You know, the first portion you give out has to be great all the way through to the last and um and yeah i think that there's there's nothing more humbling and <laughs> i have did i ever tell you the story about about my greatest fuck up um adventure one of my early adventures of of cooking a pig in a spit at a food festival in watford let's do it okay, no i have I, not heard it i have my opinions on cooking whole pigs though it's not yeah yeah oh, it's stupid opinions. yeah no i, I I'll, I'll probably it's agree not with a hot, I, I have comic a, I, hot take but it's uh no, it's I, a, I, I yeah yeah i haven't done it for years take. i've fallen out of love of cooking on pigs on spits it doesn't make sense um and I've actually cooked an entire cow with friends. Oh, my God. Um, and that, again, you know, do you do certain cuts justice over the other ones that need to be cooked until they're falling apart? So, yeah, you're right. Cooking a whole animal may not be the logical way of doing it. But, hey, you're putting on a show and you right. can, at a short amount of time, suddenly feel a lot of people if you're putting it all into bread. But are you doing justice to each cut? But back to the whole thing about not getting cocky and 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 thinking you know everything and these humbling moments and i'll always have them because i'll always put myself into stupid situations thinking i know more than i do but i in the early years of the smokehouse i was making the salamis and the cheeses and we had the farmer's market trailer and i was invited up by my great friend paul flynn from the tannery in in, in dungarvan to go up to their food festival i said no it's great at the back of the restaurant in our place the small numbers it'll all be cozy cozy no problem come up bring a pig you know bring your spit we'll we'll cook a few things bap it in uh, put it into a, a bun job no problem no problem so i rock up and i start setting up at about three o'clock in the morning and the entire town of dungarvan at that stage is everybody's coming out of the nightclubs and it's sort of like middle of the night on the weekend so there's this mad fucker from west cork about to light a fire in the middle of their town on the tarmac <laughs> jesus <laughs> yeah so i had kind of like layers of, of of metal sheet put down in sand and i had the spit and i was setting it up where i was sort of told to roughly and uh the whole event was fucking hilarious so our pig was way too big and i had the wood there and um it, i just remember the whole occasion of everybody started setting up their stalls around me at, in the early hours of the morning for the beginning of the festival and, and i more or less became like a hot box because everybody started putting their sides up so i'm surrounded by the smoke from the fire this pig that was taking forever to cook because it was way too big and 
<laughs> I just remember this point where it's kind of coming close. My great friends and actually my sister-in-law now came down with her friends, Luca and the others to be the sidekicks to help me with the, um, with the, 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 the dishing out of the food. And I was kind of more or less going to take care of the fire and the meat and they were going to take care of the portions and the selling. And, um, I remember hearing that the, the, the health authorities in that town were incredibly tough. So I remember over prepping and having everything kind of that was that was ready. And I had my hand wash basins, my utility washes, my thermometers and galore and all the sort of the food safety and and all the kind of side of things there. So we're cooking, cooking away. And at this stage, my eyes have turned absolutely red and bloodshot. Tears are streaming down my face. The sun is coming out and, and whacking us. But there's a cold breeze blowing through. And eventually, the, an EHO is an environmental health officer. The EHO rocks up and and decides to uh, go through our, our our procedure for food safety. Right. So I'm sort of going through the process, and we're cooking. You know, we're cooking away the 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 pig on the on the spit, and uh, discussing how all the meat will come off. We'll probe it for temperature. We'll put it into a hot box. We'll keep it warm there. It will go through the whole process. And Luca, my great friend, Luca Delfonso, who comes over and he, he's like, finger, finger. I say, not now, Luca, not now. He's like, finger, finger. It's like, eventually, you know, what is it, Luca? The pig, the pig is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so what had happened is one of the paella pans that I brought up, which I was going to carve into, had catch, uh, caught a lot of the dripping fat coming off the pig. And the fire had kind of jumped into that. So that had caught fire and that was coming up and sort of setting fire to a bit of the pig. Now, this isn't a big deal. This is just literally there's a, a small fat a, a pan of fat on fire next right. to it. So, you know, grand job. Take it down, fan it out, go back to the EHO, pretending like nothing was the issue. Yep. Now, where were we? <laughs> Explain the whole process, go through it. He was happy that we had all those things in place. So proceeded to, but it was taking so long to cook. And there was a queue that was going around the corner and they had been there for hours. And I honestly was starting to panic at this point. But then we decided to carve it, cook it, flash it, heat it. And anyway, we did it. About five o'clock, we're kind of we're sort of finishing and wrapping everything up. Oh, before this, of course, the uh, the the biggest kind of Irish um, TV network kind of rocked up, RTE rocked up, and they have a show called Nationwide, and they wanted to film it. And I remember deciding to sort of show the side of the pig that wasn't blackened from the fire. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sort of standing in front of the pig with the turn upside down with, with the, the hostess of the show who sort of, I think, very much not into sort of eating greasy bits of meat as a sort of under a large piece of crackling my red shot eyes blackened face from soot and sort of oh it was it was one of those events so at the end of the day we finally get everything cleared up um we did set fire to the tarmac underneath the the woods bit all these things that just keep happening and i remember getting on the phone and just actually crying (laughs) through exhaustion and that sort of like i got through it everybody was happy with how it went but i just realized how close we were to disasters on several occasions those are scary moments they're moments where you push yourself and it's the combination between physical pain feeling out of your out of water and 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 sort of that moment where it just dawns what you know if if i didn't have the right people with me if i didn't at that point have like uh, luca and ashley kind of like say no we got this all is fine and i was to fall into the fact that i had only like two hours sleep and you know was physically in pain because of the smoke and the the whole thing you know you'd realize you make one stupid decision and and you've got a problem but 
at those points as well, you realize to not ever put yourself into the situation, get your shit together, plan things better, move, you know, and, and just do it better and, and learn from this. And I think that have you ever heard, I, I think it's a, an interesting point between the difference between men and women. Go ahead. Is that, <laughs> you know, women will, will very much so not, and, and I mean this absolutely. And I hope it comes across respectfully, but women Uh-oh. quite often will, will kind of go, you know, if you ask them if they know how to do something, they'll say, you know, no, I, I don't really know how to do that. Um, but they would have a very good grasp of it. They're just not going to register themselves. And a man who will have a fair idea or watched it, you know, a, a, a short video of it will like, yeah, I know how to do that. And it will probably, probably be, you know, before with really not having the same knowledge base at all, but just that, that, that overconfidence of something. But there's also expressions that like bolster that the 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 uh, virtue of that fake it till you make it and the fortune yeah. favors the brave are like are the things that say oh, just fucking do it you know it's yeah but there's a point of maturity and stuff as well where I think I kind of realize now that sometimes you just need to express and in the shortest way possible say I I know enough <laughs> rather than saying I know right. how to do it you know just well, leave yourself open for for somebody to give you that one piece of advice that would help you <laughs> from fucking the whole thing up <laughs> so for grill fest I I've recently become friendly with there's a uh, barbecue pit master out in Oakland his name is Matt Horn and he's really extraordinary uh barbecue guys he's, he's mm. he, i think got a michelin star he's out in oakland and wow he's very very thoughtful in terms of how he speaks in regards to he's a great follow on instagram too he was on the david chang show and then i kind of reached out to him and he was like super cool and he was very interesting because he started out barbecuing because his grandfather was a was a pit master and he wanted to learn from his grandfather and then he just decided to take his smoker to farmer's markets and sell meat. Mm. What was interesting to me, and this is something that's different than a lot of chefs and, and a lot of cooks and people in the restaurant business, is that idea of fire management. But it's not just fire management. It's the smoking food through the night. And mm. some things that you do, and I know that Bill Durney does and all these guys, is they have these shifts overnight. where or work, they're fo- So for the grill fest... How do you organize yourself and manage to know when you're supposed to put everything on to make sure that time of service happens? It's been cooked thoroughly and it's been rested. And how do you back time well, there's, there's all two that sides. stuff? There's two sides to how you can handle this. The first, I mean, there's the straight up version where you actually choose something that's very simple and it's 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 a cook a quick cook. Um. And bing, bang, bosh, you just you just get your line going and from start to finish, something's ready in a short period of time. And if you are talking about a very traditional, long, slow cook, you maybe and I have done this for many an occasion, you've pre-cooked everything, blast chilled it, stored it, brought it back up to the event and reheated it to, to, to sell it. Now, I mean, that's that's absolutely fair when you're thinking about, actually, I have to feed a thousand people and I don't have that's my equipment stock at removal, my restaurant. That's the stock removal of barbecue, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hot <laughs> take. Hot take. No, and you know what? That shit tasted good. I bet it did. And But there is something to be said about the people that... that it, but you can't do that if you're doing it every day, every night, sort of in your, in your, in your restaurant because uh, what I mean by that is, is that you either you get a process in line where you're authentic and you are cooking through the night and then you're using it the next day and then you're prepping up and you're cooking through the night and you're using it the next day. I was doing something just for one event for one weekend and it's not my everyday job. And it just made life easier for me to catch up and spend time with people and be and, and actually not have to purely 
you know tend the fires all night and then at least be part of the living the next day <laughs> you know it just seems like so much, i mean like basically like your pig your pig was when you're doing the pig it was the idea of how can i make sure that i'm on time like well yeah that's but the you, thing you, about you can't that's... well you have to hit the magical temperatures i mean in, in celsius you know 71 to 75 degrees you know i think the, the authorities want to say 75 but the you know beef is different and, and all those kind of things but it's it's yeah getting getting the execution of it all together and um and doing that but at the same time like we we're saying about the pig you know half those things just look good for a wedding photograph but you know what right. by the time you're actually about to sit down that pig has been broken down and in it's in a box hours before people are about to eat so you're not looking at the spectacle you know these things can be wasted in that respect if if you're you know and i think i fell out of love with that i mean i'd sooner now sort of cook a dish um that that just it doesn't take eight hours or whatever or and i I also have the luxury of having some equipment you know part of the the smokehouse where i can i can use the machines to to hot smoke something through the night and use nighttime electricity (laughs) you know but do you know what i i would love to pass on the knowledge to my kids and how to do it authentically you know um, I don't think there's a difference in quality, but the authentic, um, without a shadow of a doubt, authentic use of, of wood and using your senses to do something is much more noble and respectful. And I, I, I will call myself a cheat openly if, if I've cooked something using my um, my electronic timered computer based driven hot smoker compared right. to actually using my hand to feel the temperature on, on the on the side of the, the, the smoker that I have down at the farm. I, when I was smoking the ribs yesterday, and I was, I, I get a lot of problems because I, I use propane, and a lot of the pro- reason is because I just, I'm not gonna. It's the same reason why I don't have a pizza oven is because I just don't have the time for dinner to kind of like, it's just ah, yeah, too much. You, 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 you just haven't bought the right pizza oven yet. I mean, get a get a I, little, you know, get you one know of what? those. Bing I bang had a, I. I got to use my my in my mother-in-law's pizza oven, and I was just like, "This is amazing." But then I thought it took two hours to get the goddamn thing ready. I'm just like, I can't. No, but that, there's even there's even ready. smaller. There's even smaller, more amazing ones that are available now that are literally they're propane based, but they get to the same. You can get your hot stone in there, and you 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 can actually then switch back to wood if you want to get the flavor. But they are hot in in half an hour. I got at some point I will, but I I get so crazy. Now I was actually using. I figured out a way to have a, my propane grill be a smoker which i just turn on one one of the get hob the one of the burners and then i put a smoke box on that and then it just the rest of it is is all chamber and it just becomes kind of the basically what i used to have as a horizontal smoker yeah. i one thing i have i when you're talking about the, the health inspector is a number well, of actually, years just before you, go ahead. I, just, I just i was just gonna say that these, these smokers i've often when i've started find myself explaining them to people i kind of usually make references over to them being like bongs yeah it's <laughs> exactly know, what they, they are they are literally giant bongs you know you have that's, this whole i've thing never even thought about that's exactly what they are you know it's hilarious I, I i blanked earlier on i did a blonde on it i was talking about how wood the cellulose is the word i was looking for the cellulose and wood is the element of the wood that breaks down to different compounds at different heat and if you were to take a, um, a cigarette and you were to take one of those laser reading temperature probes 
and like beam at one of those at the inside of a cigarette when you're inhaling it's hundreds of degrees and if you do the same thing in the smoker the heart of a smoker in celsius is about you know 350 to 500 degrees and that will give off the perfect the sweet spot of 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 flavors and everything else so it's the same thing with a bong the amount of air in if you choke a fire you create the bitter acrid smell so the amount of air that's going through it the ratios the size of the bong to the amount of dope you put into it to the amount of the hit you take off it makes a big difference <laughs> Look at you! That you've created, and everyone's gonna. This is the new By thing. By the way, guys. I haven't I haven't smoked in years. I smoked way too much in my earlier years. I, a I've fucking been smoker a is basically a bong. Never even <laughs> yeah. thought about that. And then, have you ever heard of these Venturi smokers? There's these amazing gadgets you can get now, which are are are, are basically driven off a little air pump. And what they do is you actually create a, a bit of moving air, and it it literally is like a bong because you have the chamber that you know you you put your lighter up against it and the flame comes in and the amount of moving air acts like the end of a cigarette and this the the shavings keep falling onto a smoldering kind of thing and again it's 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 consistency these kind of modern smokers are all based on like you see the ones that are like biscuits they look, they look like weedabix if you have weedabix yeah i know you i know i was actually going to bring up that they have like a little hopper and then they kind of feed in the yeah, pellets and they they can drop down i mean like some of those <laughs> excuse me solid sorry solid. sneezing <laughs> thank you yeah the, the modern smokers I mean like if they work off shavings and things like that they create consistency over a long period of time and I feel like if you if you talk about salmon smokers and these foods that are very delicate and precise you have to have a very delicate and precise system for smoking them and I think for, for meats you know there there is the element of cooking where you actually seal the meat with the, the, the I mean this sounds vulgar and terrible and wrong but the bitumen of the tar of the smoke so to speak it's not as bad as that but that seals the outside of the meat and creates like this element of sous vide because that sealing of the meat as it sort of continues to cook below 100 degrees Celsius, which is that sort of sous vide temperature where if you go over 100 degrees Celsius, you have steam. The water wants to leave whatever you're cooking. So what you actually are working at the temperature below that, which will break down the fibers in the meat or break down the collagen or whatever it is to actually create a very tech, um, succulent and juicy product because there are points where that collagen will turn into the juices. So these elements of not losing your moisture, breaking meat down and the long slow cook and the process of the smoke sealing the meat and all those kind of things are, are, are the point. But over that long period of time, it only takes one big fuck up where the fire gets out of control and creates a bad flavor that will actually just become a haunting little little bit in the back of the mouth kind of flavor that you know shit got out of control at some point and is unforgiving. That's what happened to me yesterday. I went to get a margarita, and then my little bo- one of the logs I put on caught on fire, and then I, when I came out, the, the temperature reading went super high. I opened it up. The flame was up, and the flame was licking one of the ends of my ribs that I had to turn over and not show on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> because, because I, I fucking... I was, I, what, Jeffrey, in, Jeffrey, the ribs are on fire. The, the ribs, ribs are on fire. A little bit on fire. It tasted great. I mean, for like, you know, some half-baked vegetarians... This is awesome, but I, I, I it is interesting because when you connect, I've always connected the maker community with cooks. Yeah, like I, I mean, I've known so many um, blacksmiths who were chefs who went to you know culinary school. Mm. I'm fascinated by the whole idea of that. I think, I mean, if I, I, we stopped. And I had my dad's old smoker, and I got rid of it. I've had, I've had vertical smokers. Uh, I've had horizontal smokers. I love horizontal smokers. 
And I just, it got, to, and I would, I remember back in the day, we would, I would have friends and we would get, you know, meat and we would smoke meat. I did the, yeah, I did at one point, I, it's funny, I had to, I cooked, I got an opportunity, there's a, there's a, these chefs down in, uh, cookbook writers down in uh, the Carolinas named the Lee Brothers. Uh, and, and they were writing for the New York Times and one of the, one of them was dating a friend of my wife's and they came over up for dinner and they, my wife says, oh, you got to cook for this guy. He writes for the Times, a food writer. So I did what we, um, I did beer can chicken in the smoker and beer can chicken, you basically, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, oh, it I know it well. stick yeah. it right up the ass and then the, but when you put it in, if you do like five of them, we had an awful term for it because it looked like they were being like held hostage. Like you put the wings behind their the hands and, stuff in the like air, that. and then when you lift, if you had five in the smoke chamber, we called it Abu Ghraib, which is a really unfortunate thing to say, but that's what we did. <laughs> Cause it was like, that was right at the time where the Abu Ghraib was happening and an awful, awful thing. And I just realized I was just like, that was a terrible thing to say, but it was, that's what we called it. Cause it looked like such a, it was such a production. I remember enjoying cooking ribs and different types of things, but then it just all, and then I had this thing where we would drink, we'd have, We'd have wine throughout the day, and we were smoking all day long and drinking all day long, and it all just got too much for me. And but it's interesting because I also had a friend in college who's from Atlanta, and his dad and he would do these twenty-four hour smokes, and they would have a bottle of whiskey, and it was this bonding moment, and they were yeah. drinking all through the night. And I'm sure that there was the three o'clock and the four o'clock and the five o'clock in the morning, you know, the you know, doing all that. It, there is something interesting about the dis the distance between. You know, using these pellet smokers to just ensure you can set it and forget it. You can walk away and do it yeah. to these like guys who are world class, you know, who are tending the fire all night. You see these videos of these. The respect I have to give half of them is that is that they actually are willing to do that continuously time and time again. I think they I, understand, you know, though. They, they understand do, that yeah. that's and, what and, it is. And there are there's few people who actually have that. I mean. I'm often distracted by the amount of things I feel I have to accomplish and do. So, you know, I, I feel like I know I, I can do it, but I'll use the easiest path because I've got way too many kids, way too many jobs and, and, and other kind of bits and pieces. But I have done it at one point and I don't know if I want to do it, keep doing it again and again. But the people who do that are my heroes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they are they're on but, a pedestal. And they're the and, best. Yeah. These are the guys who are like they're not cutting any corners. Their 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 greatest uh, tool is a shovel, yeah. and they're tending the fire all through the night. And you can taste the difference. Yeah, if you in you a blind taste tasting it. without a, a shadow of a doubt, you know damn well that somebody somebody put that love and, and time and care into it. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Um, it's 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 but it's a, it's a different calling 
It's like mm. the it's yeah. like the night watchman almost. You know, it's oh, like Oh yeah, but I mean like listen, we'll spend hours hand sanding and people think, Are you mad and why are you but doing you're not that? Doing we're, it trying all night we're trying to achieve <laughs> well, we have. But you're not. You, I mean, but come on, the, you have. You've been up. But wait a second. No, I haven't. I, I, I. That's the one thing in in college. I hated all nighters. I hated them. I hated the way I felt in the morning. You've, okay, you've them. gotten up really early in the morning to hand sand, right? <laughs> yes, but at the same time, it's like. The, but the the knife making isn't dependent on that. Versus smoking something for sixteen hours and monitoring the smoke is dependent on someone attending the fire. Yeah. Like there's no like you can organize yourself so you don't have to, but it doesn't it's not the same, you know. Yeah. Like knife yeah. making, you can you know making anything is you can or as long as you're organizing your time, it's not dependent on that specific amount of time. Like if I had to heat treat knives and you know I've, I mean I've tempered things and left them all night long tempered or mm. or walked away, but you can't with barbecue. That style of cooking has to be monitored. The same thing with baking. Like you have bakers who their job is their shift is at night. You're you're baking at night because you have this mm-hmm. limited amount of time. And that's what's fascinating about the difference between making things and cooking mm-hmm. is, you know, you make a knife, it ain't going to go bad. But if you make like your bread for this day or the smoked meat for this day, mm-hmm. you got to move it and it can't go bad. I remember, I remember before going up to one of the, the events – um, I was collecting the wood from from Arbutus, which is one of the great bakeries um, here in Ireland. And I, I pulled up at the, at the end. It was quite late in the day because I was going to drive and arrive late into Dublin. So I, ca- I called into Cork. I, I, I gave him a call. He said he'd meet me there. And I've never been in through his bakery. So Declan Ryan went inside. He opened the door. And the first thing he reached for was one of those little infrared temperature things. And while giving me the tour and showing me everything, you know, he was going on beep. And it was just his his routine thing while I was talking. I could see him looking and checking and beeping everything. Because at that point, the sourdough mother, which was being kept in the form of a very gentle bain-marie to encourage the perfect amount of growth for the right. fermentation for the, for the mother, the temperature of the flour, the, the room itself and what the ovens were, everything was part of a mental, probably hard to explain calculation that he was going to do to make the bread perfect the next day. You know, because everything down to the minutia made a difference. But this is a product that has, you know, water, you know, salt, you know, flour, yeast, you know, in, in many cases, you know, this for simplest ingredients is the most humbling product of all time. And it's tactile and logic and all these things that kind of come into it. But I was just amazed. And there's something about me that still to this day, as you can tell, blew me away by the fact that 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 two or three difference in degrees through had made an adjustment to the recipe to make the baguette turn out perfect or to have the 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 bread you know just these were all parts of the the tweak of perfection that you you, you needed that's you, you know it's interesting you say that because we when we make pizza we make pizza on Wednesdays that's the one thing my family's like we're having pizza on Wednesdays yeah yeah, yeah. so usually i get two pizza doughs and then i put them out that morning the same spot, they're rising almost the same. Yeah. Everything is the same. And when I put the two pizzas in the oven, one will always be different than the other. And I change and I try to change the levels on the in the oven. I make sure that there's not a lot of uh, you know liquid in the pizza. I don't I don't fuck with onions in the pizza. I don't fuck with things that'll make the mm. pizza not. And and every and I'll swap them around and there's always one will be crispier than the other. 
Like it's yeah. and it just boggles my mind. Like the, the oven's the same; they're in the same thing. Everything's done the same. The, the ingredients are the same, but one is slightly different than the other. Maybe one's a little bit crispier. Maybe one's a little bit soggier. I mean, they're both delicious, but it's just like that's the one thing that confounds me about baking and smoking foods. I love and- it. My 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 son Oscar has um, has fallen in love with baking. I mean, largely to make dessert like cakes. He he's he's definitely into has a sweet tooth but he's very much kind of gone down the road because we we won't buy them junk food we, we we're kind of like those mean parents who just yeah. you know buy me this no but and he said well can i make something and they fell in love with the british bake-off and sure. uh, mary berry and all these characters who who kind of bake things and i remember the screams of excitement as they jumped around the room because one of them got the mary berry cookbook as, as a birthday present i wish i caught that on film they, I've never seen them so excited. It's like he's just been given a bicycle. <laughs> it was a cook, and he—he, he, I always thought he was—he's actually quite a natural for his age. Because I always thought he's going bing bang bosh and it's not going to work because he'll just kind of violently mix everything. But he's developed an instinct over time, and he made some of the pizza dough for a last back. And it was actually some—it—it it, it probably you know was better than half the bread, the, the pizza doughs I've made myself, and there is this this wonderful thing about it, but. One of my friends who has a great place called the Dobros up in Galway, they have a pizza place. And every member of staff, as they come through the door, they're taking off the coat. You know, the door's closing behind them. The first question they shout into the kitchen is, what's the dough like? (laughs) Because that's the make or break of whether it's going to be an easy day or a hard day. (laughs) Yeah. It's the first question. It's not, hey, how are you? What's the crack? It's like, what's the dough like? Then after that, they'll they'll, they'll break into everything else. It's it's too much pressure for me. I I can't. My kid actually has a job. She's going to be working a couple days a week at a bakery because she loves baking. And she does a great job. So she, and and one of the the benefits is is you get to take home a loaf of bread. And they brought, she brought home a loaf of bread. I was just like, this fucking bread is delicious. And it was like, it was, it was different. I mean, it was like, you know, because you eat so well all the time. You know that I used to think, ah, bread's bread. And then she brought home this like seven grain sourdough. And I was just like, yeah. God damn, this thing is so great. And it was like this, it was the kind of an eye-opening. It was like those eye-opening moments where you're just like, okay, I've been screwing around too long with the wrong stuff. Yeah, no, it's it actually the, the the latest buzz I'm going through at the moment. There's there's a great friend that she, her Instagram handle is the happy tummy. And she uses this amazing grain from Africa called teff. And huh. it it's one of the most highly nutritious. I actually have digestive issue, issues. I, I'm sure they all stem from from all the kind of things that, or, or all my issues I probably have, the times of anxiety or, um, you know, all those things you may give out about indigestion, whatever kind of stuff. You know, everything does come down to your digestive system. I think no matter what, I think we could probably simplify everything back. You know, if you look at the Eastern way of solving a problem, the Western way of solving a problem, you know, we tend to put drugs on the problem to take or deal with the causes or, or right. to deal with the symptoms. Whereas Eastern medicine kind of tends to look at, at what's triggering this and to, to solve the cause of the problem, which I think is in the long run going to do you more, you know, more good to find the, the root of the problem of and deal course. with that than to te- keep kind of, that's think, society's problems, Fingal. I mean, yeah. we like to. Oh, totally. You know, yeah, the problem yeah. is, is we deal with the the we we we're always dealing with the after effect, and we never deal with what triggered the that root. Effect in the the root, place. exactly. Yeah. And I, I think for me personally, I mean, all the things I've probably ever given out about my health in any kind of form or way do probably come down to some form of digestive kind of connection. You know, your energy, 
how you've been sleeping. I mean, it's funny. I, I used to jokingly kind of go on about when you used to talk to a homeopath or, I mean, West Cork is full of beautiful characters who have these different skill sets, um, you know, from Reiki, Shiatsu, homeopathy, right. acupuncture, all these kind of traditional methods, um, uh, um, herb, herbalists, all these people who have means to, to actually cure and, and, or, or to at least alleviate issues. And, and, th- a lot of this actually starts off with a conversation. It's not like, oh, I've got hives, you know, then, oh, here's a cream, rub it in. It's like, there's more to that. And and, and the, the, nearly always the first question is, you know, what's your stool like? What's your poo like? <laughs> it is incredible how much you can uh, tell about somebody from their shit. I mean, I, I mean, I can imagine that I would, I would have a hard time describing it. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I, I can, I can literally write very in-depth detail about my poo. I mean, if you break I it down, to, is it a hard one to snap off? Is it sloppy? Does it float? <laughs> is it smelly? You know, these things tell you about the fermentation in your gut. Do you actually have good digestive enzymes breaking things down? Is if, if you don't, you know, I could go into great detail about how your poo is telling you about how you're digesting and what you're eating, and everything down to. I mean, you can go. So, into what such should detail. your poo look like? Well, listen, basically, you shouldn't have the shits and you shouldn't have constipation. And everything in between that is a different part of the story. <laughs> I don't think we need yeah. to go into, you know, and, and I mean, of late, I actually haven't seen a good solid poo for a while. I, I, I must have an intolerance or something that I'm eating that, that, that isn't helping me. And I mean, I'm off booze for the past kind of while. I'm kind of eating. I'm going through one of my health buzzes and I burn the candle at both ends. You know, I go to, I go to town and, and and then I go and binge kind of tight, you know fests of trying to look after myself but i think so i'm eating some teff and i'm eating responsibly and i'm trying to think about you know things that are good to eat and you do i mean you can get a little bit too carried away with with some of the shit that we consume and it is fascinating that the knock-on effect i mean chemicals and pesticides that go through a food that you don't say that aren't there but quite honestly we're absorbing these in tiny amounts and you know you can you can look at all these things um and it's not one thing do you remember the batman movie and jack nicholson and of course, the, my the favorite thing, one. Of course. And the thing that was killing everybody wasn't the fact that there was this one deodorant that they would put on that killed them. It was the deodorant combined with the lipstick combined with whatever. It was the magic right. equation. Remember right, that? Right, 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 yeah, right. I think that's the thing in life is that we find that, listen, we're survive- We're, we're as, as a human race, we're probably getting stronger because, you know, in, in the first world, we have nutritional stuff beyond and, and almost we're wasteful with food. But in in many ways, there is... I suppose the funny thing to see is probably we're eating things we also probably shouldn't be. Um, and sometimes you just got to simplify. And that simplify is actually kind of beautifully challenging <laughs> at yeah. times. It's, it was, you know, a number of years ago, my kid wanted to see if we could do a month of being vegan. And I really was against it. I was against it just because I was like, I want to eat something good. And then it kind of like challenged me as a cook to make some food that we actually liked that we didn't feel like we were suffering. Yeah, and that was something that I've really kind of like took with me throughout now, and you know, I I try to simplify. I mean, I know that you know the interesting thing in, in American supermarkets is all American supermarkets are designed that the only things that you really truly need are on the outside along the edges. The stuff on the inside, with the exception of spices and flowers, you don't need. It's all the processed shit in the middle. Like in the middle of all the middle of the aisles of every supermarket you go to the United States, if you just follow the outside corner, it's 
the fruit and the vegetables, and then there's the seafood, and then there's the meat, and then there's the Bakery. dairy, and then you you head around, and then there's the, and then there's the cash registers. So it is one of those things that I somebody told well, the me booze, the like, booze is the last thing you see in an Irish supermarket. <laughs> that listen, listen, we need more of that. We need more. There's no booze. You can't get booze in the supermarket in the United States. Well, at least really? not in oh, New York. Okay. Not in New York. You know, oh, right, yeah, like the, a second the, the stop, policies. which is a total drag. Total yeah. drag. So take me back now. Now, now, you're, now I want to go back to Grill Fest. We've been talking shit, haven't we? <laughs> no, it's good. No, literally, 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 you literally, literally talking shit. <laughs> I'm sure that if you were going to talk about feces, it would sound crystal clear, beautiful, and poetic. So I'm, you know, I'm not surprised that the Irish education has made you take the most banal thing, banal and and anal thing, and then make it into something beautiful. So congratulations oh, to you. Okay. Back to back to Grill Fest. I almost said Sausage Fest. What will you be? Br- how much? What will well, you? I'm be actually. Bringing? This is great. This year, I'm not. I'm not cooking at it. I'm. I'm going up to help. Oh. I'm probably doing a demo. So this year, I'm not cooking at the at the Grill Fest. Um, we're going to be actually doing demos and helping other people cooking. So I'll be assisting other people and and kind of more or less. This is. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this year. That's going to make life a lot easier because you don't have. Oh, to, I mean, I'm going to have the best time this year. And I think that there are people who professionally do the circuit. And I think that there are a lot of this year. One of the things I was really glad to hear was that there's a lot more Irish restaurants in, involved, um, and that there was. I think there's a lot of the the. the um, a lot of the wonderful chefs we know from further afield are actually kind of traveling all the way over. So there's going to be a, a brilliant showcase of of food that's kind of there. Um, so yeah, I think just being part of the whole process and I, I, my entire life of sort of doing food festivals and things like that, I've had more fun behind the scenes, um, you know, in the in the staff camping or behind the sort of the counters than I ever have been as a punter at any of these events. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed talking to you. You like dealing with the customers. Like that's your thing. Oh no, like, no, 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 no. It's not not from that side of things. Because I mean, like that that can be amazing. It, it, it can have its rewards in many cases. It's actually kind of more of feeling part of something. I I, I need to earn my my sort of I I, I don't know. There's there's a, there's a by by knuckling down and getting stuck into something and then at the very end of it me reaping the benefits of of that you know like having helped many other people in their f- food events over the years like the the wild side catering or going to any of these grill festivals or lit fest and those i've often found that actually it's more fun to get stuck in with everybody and have camaraderie right. than to actually be a punter and experience because i think you still get to experience and taste everything but i maybe it's the fidget part of me i I can't just sit still i'd sooner be involved and stuck in and learn something from actually being part of i'm not the world's best cook in in any kind of formal way i always i've never tried to master one thing i'm always jumping into different things and there are people around me who are masters and just watching them and being part of that and learning these little tricks and experience them straight as something's been cooked and being put on the knife and being passed to me is going to taste so much better than I think being executed perfectly on a on a on a on a plate next to some foam and skid marks. What will what, what will you what will you be demoing? I don't know yet. I think it's uh, there's um I was going to it, it could possibly end up changing, um but it'll probably be a combination between the knives. I've been asked a lot more and more lately to do knife stuff, but if we can combine it with food, um then it's kind of it's more interesting but uh i'm going to actually get in touch it's going to be in the 12th of august is the event so i have a bit of time yet to to sort of pin that down and i'll talk to the organizers and find out what they're after 
I was actually, I, I was up at the Taste of Dublin recently, which was another food event. A very different one in its own kind of way. It's much more brand related and sort of, um, it's it's more shiny and sort of more, you know, as you first come in, there's a sort of, there's a bank on one side and there's a sort of Dyson was doing something on the other side and there's a lot more kind of promotion. It's bigger company kind of side stuff. And I didn't feel as comfortable there. It was an amazing event. But um, one of the things that was interesting was I was asked to do a little talk there in one of those little pop-up stretch tents. And right. I remember being asked questions about myself. And you know that funny thing where where two or three people kind of stood up and started walking away, you know, and then somebody else kind of comes along and sits down. And he sort of suddenly realized that, you know, what is interesting? I mean, if I was sitting down in the crowd, yeah, I mean, I'm totally overhearing myself talking shit about myself. You know, my history or whatever else is incredibly boring. The stuff that I get excited about is, you know, what am I going to learn from this? You know, and I, I, at this stage, you know, that those kind of points. There's a great friend of mine, Benedict Reed, who's from Scotland. And uh, forgive me if I told this story before, but he's the best speech I've ever seen in my life was Ben at the um, the Food on the Edge, which was a, an event. Did I tell you the story last time I was on the podcast? I don't think so. So Ben so. Ben lost his speech. Stop me if we have, or, or tell me to speed it up. But Ben lost his speech the night before. He accidentally deleted it on his computer. So pissed out of his mind in the middle of the night, he decided to write it all over again. And the next morning, he proceeded to... Now, Ben was behind the Nordic Food Labs, which was like one of the, the centers that kind of did the educational kind of learning and prepping stuff for like Noma or the Scandinavian food movement and was like, right. should we be eating bugs? And if we are, which are the tasty ones? And uh, is the, what, the nutrition or perhaps if we are going to smoke food, what's the healthy form of doing it over the unhealthy and the polyphenocarbons? And what is um, nutritious and what's not? And, you know, microplastics or, yada, yada, you know, these kind of things between both health, logic, science, nutrition, food history, you know, put that all into one vessel and shake it up. And it's what Ben did um in 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 nordic food labs and so this guy i mean you had several chefs before him who went up onto a stage to talk to many other chefs and i hate to say it but there were some you know people there kind of going oh when i was five this happened and that happened and i got beaten and then i fell in love with someone and then we fell out of love and then i broke my leg and then i decided to read a book about this and that's when i became a chef and you know it's like you know all right it is fascinating to, to and if you do know that chef and you want to hear the backstory but ben stood up and the first thing he kind of goes on about is do you know the t9 taste receptor in the back of your tongue if you eat a berry from the amazon rainforest it fucks with that t9 taste receptor and turns everything from sour to sweet and he went in this whole conversation explaining how you can fuck with taste receptors to create you know alternative kind of things you eat a lemon wow. it's the sweetest fucking lemon you've ever eaten in your life he's, he's like half between billy Connolly and yeah, a mad scientist like <laughs> yeah. that, was a, so, that was incredible oh, that was an incredible oh, he's, uh, he's, as, he's as tall yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, he's as tall as myself he's but i think he's six he's actually maybe taller he's probably six six or something like that um red-haired and bouncy and wonderful and brilliant he's got a head like uh, uh, larousse gastronomique and so he's telling this whole story. He got a standing ovation at the end of his speech because not only had he challenged everybody and celebrated food as being an adventure and why we do things and how we're out there looking to fuck with our T9 taste receptor and that random berries like that bring us excitement. You know, you know the, the fizz bombs in shops 
can be so much more exciting than just you know a, a bar of chocolate if you're in the right frame of mind. You know, we can we can give out about you know colonology and and sort of gastronomic you know fizz bombs and stuff like that as as perhaps being a straying away from traditional and honest kind of food. But then again, colonology is maybe about the most basic principles of food. You know, about the actual the primal elements of what is food. But that but, gives you that, what's interesting about that is you you start to think. Is that the, the is that the future of the culinary experience to change the the taste receptors in your mouth to make you know to kind of uh, make the food taste different to you? And when I thought about that, I was thinking about that while you're talking about it. All I could think of is, well, that's the reason why you have guys like you know Matt Horn cooking all night long, and you're creating more than just. Uh, a berry they, that makes they will always be sweet. there and we always need them to be there we'll right. always turn our head for a moment to go over to the guy who's using liquid nitrogen because it's fucking exciting but will it stand the test of time i mean like in i went to ucc the university college of cork and i was part of um i was on the stage with some pretty you know amazing characters um one of which is a very traditional fish chef. There was Dorina Allen, who's probably one of the best teachers in, in the sort of the best cookery school in Ireland. There was um, the, the lecturers from the university who are teaching culinary. What's the other name for gastro? What culinology has another name? Um, what is it? Anyway, gastro. I mean, I don't know. You, you know what I mean? It's the liquid nitrogen and, and foams and skid marks. So the, the oh the, oh oh, it's a uh, uh, yeah, it's a micro gastronomy. Mike, yeah, thank you. So what happened was is that was this point where you know. Lemon sorbet. Lemon sorbet with lemons and sugar and ice and, and, and so on can make, you know, a, a good lemon sorbet. But then again, at the same time, you can take citric acid and, you know, create the exact same product. But one was based out of dextrose and and dextrose and, and citric acid. And the other one was lemons and sugar. And which one tasted better. And I think you, you'll always have room for the two. You'll always be blown away by, by the excitement of challenging ourselves. And we'll always learn from new developments. But my God, you know, I hope we never lose the honesty of really good, pure, traditional cooking. And, and, and the people who will stay all night and cook, um, cook up through the night. And because... I don't know. I think I think there's the honesty and the simplicity of that. I think we need both, but I, I, I one was always going to be more of a, on, on on more of a pedestal than the other for me. But that's I mean, if you talk about the humanity and talk about technology and how we view, you know, there's so many. If you talk generations upon generations of humans, we've gotten so less. I mean, you look at people's hands. There are people who have, you know. Back in the day, every you know these people were working with their hands, and now you can meet somebody who does not turn a screwdriver because technology has allowed us to have professions where people don't have to do anything. anything my, my, my father, my father-in-law took the piss out of me. My, my my hands have turned into my father's, and actually, I find them quite quite fantastic. I I, I love them. They're the ugliest ugliest hands in the world, but they have a story behind them. <laughs> They're getting to that point now. The cracks and the chips and the dings and the missing nails and the the, the cow pox and the warts and all those kind of things. Each one of them is part of something. But the his hand, he showed me his hand. And people who spent most of their life using a screwdriver, you develop this sort of this this funny um uh 
damage to your hand from using uh, a screwdriver so much and i'm definitely of a generation that's probably used a, a bit driver you know right then i have a screwdriver so he, he he turned that one on me in, in respects that he was the screwdriver generation and i was the driver generation but that's part of the separation because i mean if you look at technology as how even as knife makers you know we constantly talk, on knife talk we talk about how Technolo- technology can help us in our pursuits, but it does. And then there's a lot of always. Well, it doesn't make it bad if you if you're a stock removal guy. It doesn't make it. You know, we're always kind of apologizing to people who are hurt. Their feelings are hurt when you kind of look down upon that. The difference is always going to be. And there was something I had a conversation with uh, Aaron Goff about. Uh, he was talking about uh, scarcity, a post scarcity. Yeah. Where post scarce, the concept of post scarcity is we're going to proceed so so far that we're not going to have to do anything anymore, and there's going to be no value to anything, and that technology is going to allow us to not have to have it. And not, nothing will be valuable, but that what will what will always be valuable is the human experience and the, the techniques learned and the time spent doing them. And that's really what it's going to come down to. It's the guys who are tending the fire all night. Like, I haven't thought about it. I thought about one of them, you know, pellet smokers. You get one of them pellet smokers instead of forget it. You have these little thermometers that hook up to you. You can have a, you can hook up an, an app to your phone and it'll tell you exactly where you're at. It'll tell yeah. you exactly how to be. But if you go Sous-vide to the total co- opposite of Aaron, then what happens is what happens to the day that the fuse comes out? The electricity is missing. You're in the camp in the wild. You're not well, going to cook in the same way. So there, there is something about learning. You have to learn how to do it the hard way before you can go down doing it the easy way. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, at the same time, I mean, it is fascinating that, you know, as society grows and technology makes life easier for people and makes things easier, is this true value is going to be of these guys who can make it happen with some wood and a shovel and the fire and then the yeah. bong for the food, you know? It's, <laughs> and that, that's the ones because... because it wouldn't be know, a great name for a food restaurant. Look, you and me, we're going to get, we're going to do a, a, a Europe, a Ireland kind of collaboration. We're going to open a, a barbecue restaurant called Bong. <laughs> yeah, the Bong, Bingo the bong. Bango Bongo. They're called Bingo Bango Bongo. But it, you know, like even sous vide cooking has become, you know, sous vide cooking was one of those things that was like completely just for the restaurants, and now sous vide cooking. You, I, you see guys that all you have to ta- do is have one of those sous vide. It looks like an immersion blender. You seal up your food in a bag. You put it in any kind of vessel. You could put it in a fucking bucket from Home Depot. You put a bucket and then you turn it on and then it, it gets the water up to four, 200 degrees or something. And I, then think, I think people have scratched that itch like, though. I, I think I think that this that that itch has been scratched. I think people have been there and done that, and they've gone back to cooking the way they always have. The Heston, I don't think the Heston, so. Oh, not in the restaurant. The restaurant because what needs must the devil drives. I mean, if you have to do a, a couple of hundred um, portions of of medium rare lamb, you know you you know it's it's one of the only ways you're going to pull that kind of stuff off in a big restaurant. But for a home cook or chef. You know, the, the, you, you know, you're not going to probably do that to get your carrots absolutely perfect. Well, I think that you might be wrong because, be, well, in this sense, sous vide cooking for beef has become, there's a there's an expression called coast to coast. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is if you have a medium, when you cook a steak it's the and perfect you put it on the, from coast whatever, to coast. but it's completely, it's almost like prime rib where it's completely pink from the edge to the edge and there's just a little bit of bark. I know a lot of cooks at home cooks who are just like, I sous vide my steaks 
because I put it in the bag, I put it in the bucket, I put the fucking wand in there, turn it on, and I'm cooking it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really do this. I, I gadgets I can do without. Yeah. And and they're cooking it for 16 hours at 120 degrees. I don't know how. I don't know how. Probably 100 something like that. And then they get a pan hot. They throw a little butter in there, and then they put a little bit of a sear on it and stuff like that. I know guys who don't like to cook who say this is perfect every single time. Yeah. Versus my dad taught me how to cook steak when I was a kid, and and I like to cook steak in a cast iron pan or on a or on a uh, on a on a uh, on the grill or whatever under the broiler. And my and my kid, I she, she and my wife, my kid said, "Well, how do you know when it's done?" You stab it with a thermometer. I'm like, no, you feel it. When you feel it, you can tell. You know, if you if you clench your hand and you put that that muscle between your thumb and your knuckle of your forefinger, that's called the cheese muscle. And if di- different squeezes will tell you the release. Yeah. Or yeah. how a knife, you know, taps you know, a fork or a knife will how well, easy you do, you it goes do anything. Through. You do anything a couple of thousand times. You're you're, you're you, you probably don't even need to go poking. You're kind of gonna you're gonna know straight away but, if you do it the same. But there but, are so many people who want to have that exact experience without putting in the time and the energy to figure out how to do it. Yeah, they want to do the the pellet smoker, and then they know that they put the brisket in for seven hours, and they turn the pellet smoker on. It's going to keep it two fifty for however See, I, it's done, I, and then they're going to the have the app is, saying your brisket's done. I know. Okay, I've I've got I had a sous vide guy I, I did it once or twice i stopped i started using it to heat the acid up in the smokehouse and then i broke it <laughs> so i don't have a little sous vide guy anymore i didn't have a vac packer at home you can buy little ones you know yeah. they eventually break you know and and then you find yourself like okay been there done that and then you kind of go back to you know reverse searing you know you just cook it at a low temperature for a long period of time and and then take it out and, and just do do a little kind of sear with the meat and you kind of get putting it down close, but one of the things we're we're skipping out on some of those factors of the 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 the, the important parts. I mean, like Heston Blumenthal's perfect chicken. It's a long, lengthy process of a low temperature and cooking it for the juiciest, moisture. You know, it's you brine it, right. you do whatever else. The one thing that's absolutely and utterly missing from that entire equation is the smell in the room when you come in. You know, if you stick a chicken in the oven, you got the garlic and the rosemary, whatever, shoved up its ass and, you know, the smells of the roast. And you come into a house. Like, you know, if you want to sell your house, you bake brown bread in it when you're right. going to show somebody around it. Right. You know, these these parts are actually what get the mouth watering before you've walked into somebody's house. Those elements you will miss. Yes, that was the juiciest chicken I've ever had, but it was missing something. You know, and you, you do find yourself going back from the, the, the playing around and the, you know, putting it, you know, tying it up in a condom and chucking it into some water for several hours. By the way, I've done that, not the condom, but you know what I'm getting, the sous vide. Yeah, I know what you're saying. To, to actually, you know, just, you know, life's too short. The kids are shouting, everybody's hungry, you know. I'd sooner get really good ingredients and cook something fast than, you know, and I actually haven't ever done a microwave meal or any of these kind of type things. I, I think like you, you probably eat less meat. As a family, we eat less processed foods. I, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the microwave because I think cooking and the, the, making the, the Tucker fucker. I love that expression. I, there's a, I got, I, we cook, I cook a lot in the microwave. I steam vegetables in the microwave. Hmm. And it's really convenient. Oh, David, David Chang loves it. I don't have an issue with the Tucker fucker. I, I think that they're actually What's very the practical. What's fu- oh, the oh, Tucker fucker? Oh, the Tucker fucker. The Tucker's food. Okay, I got you. I got no, you. as in like it fucks up the Tucker, the food. Right. You know, food right, tucker. Right, but right. I, I think that each to their own, you, 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 there's some things you don't try and cook in a microwave. 
But no. I mean, you know, and there's some things that listen. If you want to, if you want to melt down some butter or reheat something really quick, defrost. Oh my god, most logical thing in the world. I just kind of grew up with um, something. You know, I just inherited the fact that it wasn't. It didn't give you the best food, it, as in the best result. Right. So therefore, I, I, it's not that it's not the utensil for us. But then again, I kind of grew up with agas and these bloody inefficient fuel consuming huge things that in a, in a very cold Irish home in the middle of winter, everybody stuck their ass in to keep warm, you know. So we have these old ranges and, and you just learn to cook with that. And that was my microwave. <laughs> if you know yeah. I mean. Well, there's going to be I think the, the future holds different ways of cooking that are going to be much more uh, ecologically sound. You know, I think that um, we're starting to realize that we've, I've been reading stories that uh, propane and cooking with propane and big gases, not only is it not inefficient, it's dangerous. Like there's a lot of like talk that the inhaling of, you know, propane in your house or butane mm. in your house or whatever that, whatever the gas is, is ultimately the carbon not, monoxide or whatever else. Carbon monoxide is ultimately not good for anybody. And mm. I wonder... I wonder about the, you know, like the most efficient and healthy ways in which we can kind of cook. Obviously, you can't eat everything raw, but, um, you know, is, you know, cooking something in the oven for five hours, six hours, like, is that the most effective way to, number one, cook something delicious, but also like, you know, not poison us slightly, you know, slowly yeah. poison us, you know? It's an interesting one. Like the old ranges and stuff like that. Yeah. Like it, not everybody can afford them. Right. Not everybody has them. If you were building a new house, I definitely wouldn't go and sort of put one in in modern days with fuel costs and stuff the way they are. But the fact that there's five kids and nearly always somebody at home um, and always kind of it's nearly always in use that it makes sense. You know, if I worked 80 percent of the day somewhere else and came home and actually did microwave a meal to get ready, then it doesn't make any sense either. But um, you learn that if there is this constantly warm, I mean, it's a slow ticking gentle flame that just accumulates heat in many kind of ways so you learn to cook with that so there is i've grown up with asking my parents the recipe so you need three hours in the bottom oven and then 20 minutes in the top oven (laughs) wow you know it's that kind of thing about it's the there's the low temperature oven at the bottom the high temperature and then you know the top is the rings and there's a hot and cold but there is that thing about ovens always on yeah yeah i mean the ranges are based on on originally they were sort of solid fuel and then most of them are sort of paraffin or oil, like the one in my folks' place is, is basically a sort of a several wicks that paraffin um, has a constant um, flame coming off of a wick that travels up through um, the chamber and heats off a very large cast or, or, or heavy metal plate. And it's underneath an insulated kind of hood. So the heat just accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. So I could tell you in Celsius, like the bottom oven is around, you know, in around under 100 degrees centigrade. And the top oven is around 180 to 200. And then you have a hot ring and a cold ring. And the Aga itself, which was probably one of the, the, the posher kind of brands, but probably one of the longer ones, was actually originally designed by a gentleman whose wife went blind. Or was not that she was, but I think she became blind, and she loved and missed cooking. So he designed the, the 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 range and the cooker itself, so she could continue to cook. So there's no part of the oven unless you touch the hot ring that you needed to do anything with. It was constantly going to be warm, and it was she couldn't burn herself, but yet had access to all the means and the perfect temperatures she needed to cook with. So that's the the origin behind the range, or the aga, or one of them. 
and uh, but yeah, the, the the you know most farmhouses in 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 this part of the world were were all based around the range. You know, the, the, you'll <laughs> always find me the kitchen at parties. You know, it was the backbone of of the place because there was always the long slow cooking dish. I you don't think it's the, because I can't if I go walk the dogs or we go walk the dogs. If I have something in the oven, my wife will say we're not going to leave the house the oven on, are we? And I'll be well. I think it'll be okay for. I mean, we've never had a fire yet, so yeah. I, don't I think see, I, I think Anaga, the... Anaga could go on fire and everything would be okay. <laughs> That's what I think about it. That's why I think about my even heat. Like I, I feel yeah, like yeah, I yeah. leave something in there. I like there could be a fire in there, but we would never know. No, yeah, know? fuck it. In fact, if anything, the self cleaning. That's the beautiful thing about them. You don't clean them because the heat's so there that it just kind of eventually just breaks down to sort of nothing. You just sort of. But, yeah. So what are you cooking at home? So it, you got five kids. You have a whole big family. What's the what's when uh, you're do you know, I get so annoyed with myself and the routine I find myself into because well, tell we, me we, some of the routine. What's the what didn't, you, what didn't we do this last time? We're probably boring the shit out of people no, with this. No, 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 okay, no, 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 I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it. I want to know what they're okay. eating at your house. Okay, I'll keep it. I'll keep it quick because there is something interesting I might talk about after this. But the the um, I, I find myself with the kid that we go to the farmers market. The farmers market has a, a, a fishing stall that's there that has um. They're a day boat, so maybe twenty four, forty eight hours there at sea, and they they're the family run. So it's the the you know they're on the boat, they're selling their own fish, and you just so we always on Saturday get our fish from there. There's a wonderful chicken stall that's nearby, and his chickens. There's a veg box that I kind of order in, and then you have the bread guy kind of delivers. So we have my kind of almost routine orders that are going with either whatever seasonally is kind of coming up and, and whatever else. It's just, you just ask for a box. You're not trying to ask them to be seasonal. You're just like, you're selling what's, what's kind of what's around. And then that box leads to kind of our routine of either like the kids love their chicken wings and we love to sort of do. And I think I find myself just trying to also work with if my sister has stuff growing and we're using the leftovers of, you know, so everything from schnitzel because the pork fillet's left over from the market to, to sort of doing, chicken wings to spanish rice which i'm sure we talked about before which is kind of like a quick risotto but with Span- uh, with um basmati or, or um and then yeah whatever veg and stuff you find around the place i think that the, the challenge is to always try and empty the fridge and use it right. in in as, as many different ways but you kind of fall back to comfort food um my kids don't really do potatoes i mean this time of year now we have new potatoes which are it's when it's the new season potatoes Oh, you, you'll, you. There's that point. My, my father's eyes just open when my sister will walk in with the first of the new season potatoes. That kind of that that world between them just being butter sponges of the most amazing texture, but there's flavors there. And I think that you know, there's an Irish thing, you know, blood will out. We'll always get excited about potatoes. But my kids, <laughs> my, my my kids are very much into into you know fusilian pastas and and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, they're they're kind of they're kind of yeah. Your kids we, eat well. No, I, who's no, after a period of time when you've got five kids, you know, just getting them to fucking eat anything is important. Like the little fuckers, <laughs> you know, sausages and. And sort of, you know, you, you know damn well they're not getting enough of their, their five vegetables. And they'll eat fruit till it comes out their ears. You know, they'll always... I have one kid who's obsessed with white food. You know, it's literally... It's, it's bread, pasta. Right. You know, the, the starchy kind of white foods. I mean, getting to eat any vegetables. And you have to kind of almost disguise them. So there's nothing easy. I mean, but I think as they get older, I think that they'll have been immersed by it more. And I think they'll catch on to it then. Um 
but yeah, I wish they had healthier and I, I haven't ever forced them, you know, like we do definitely have showdowns where if you don't eat your vegetables, you're not going to get any of this, that, the other or whatever Ugh. else. Those are so, yeah. awful. Oh yeah, no, it, it, you know, after a while, you know, just, and then as you get have more kids, you just get tougher, and you just stop giving a shit about, you know, you know, their feelings. You, yeah, you, yeah. Not I'm not, I'm not going to cook five different things for dinner right now because this kid doesn't like that, and that kid does, yeah. and he, you know, so, so yeah, there's less of that. All right. So, what was the topic you wanted to bring up? Oh well, we have we have this interesting project that we're going through at the moment. It hasn't crossed the line yet, but on the farm, have you ever heard of a biodigester? A bio, bio, really. It's a biogas plant. We're 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 going through planning permission at the moment. We have to get more information. So this is our, our third attempt to kind of get it across the line, and fingers crossed. But the the main ambition is that so we have a dairy farm, cows, cows and poo. Um, cheese has the the whey left over after the cheese making. We, um, we have the bedding from under the pigs and the the straw pens. We have the uneaten silage from the silage pits. We have all these kind of things that would all get scraped into a tank, which would become the what whatever he kind of affectionately calls the slurry tank. It's the waste of the farm, and that gets spread onto the land um, throughout the season, usually after the silage has been cut and these things. So it's it's kind of the the return of the nutrition back into the soil from you know the the, the waste of the land. I mean, but what happens is if we're looking to convert our slurry tank into this biodigester, so all these things you actually have some element of nutrition that still remains inside them. So if we can trap and, and create this metal box, it's going to be insulated. There's going to be a fermentation that happens within this box. The gas during this fermentation has got hot water pipes that 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 um, that are, are the hot water later on in the system will be created through the digester, so it fuels and speeds up the process. So the gas from the digester is captured, and this fuels and hopefully will fuel a chp generator combined heat and power so this generator which will run off the gas of the digester will be a 50 kilowatt um, generator which the electricity will be used to run the farm and the cheese production and the smokehouse and what will happen Holy is it's shit it's not the biggest generator in the world it, but what it is is it's constant supply of that amount of electricity and we'll probably need to still use the grid to to have the the welly behind the hertz that turns power the machines on but right. overall a, you know the 50 kilowatt engine of electricity will will eat into a lot of electricity and and or you know solve a lot of our problems in that kind of respect so what's interesting wow. as well is that the this the the slurry after it's been processed is referred to as digestate. It's been dissolved. Now, you can strain that, and whatever you capture in the solids becomes compost, which is good for the soil, or you leave everything. And this digestate you put on the land is actually more nutritious for your soil than beforehand. What happens is that it is easily broken down within the soil. It doesn't have, It's not as acidic. It doesn't burn the soil, and there's more of a release of the nutrients from it. So the digestate is actually better for your land. The gas is of use the hot water is a byproduct of the chp generator combined heat and power means that it's going to boil water while it's um driving the turbine so you're capturing the heat from the the burning of the of the gas and um and then that's kind of one of the big ambitions is is perhaps how because i mean like like everywhere in the world electricity and gas have gone through the roof i mean we saw right. our, our bill almost double 
Um, so I think we have to do things about it. And then hopefully in the future, if we can if we can get this to work, then we'll move on to probably put more solar onto the onto the roofs and wow. do a few other things. It's been a very interesting process because there's not many. We're we're one of of three that were chosen out of several hundred farms in Ireland as the as a um tester. A, yeah, a, like a sort of a, a pilot scheme. So if if this kind of goes through then hopefully it'll make life easier. And I think I can see that because we're getting asked for lots of information that are almost like impossible. You know, if you were starting off you'd say oh fuck it is it worth it? You know, because you're being pipped to the post, come back to the beginning, get more information and all this is just time and cost and and you think, listen, this is a renewable energy. This is or maybe not so much renewable as this is more ethical. And, you know, there are other benefits and positives to this. But why are we having to prove it? You know, and why is well, it taking get, you so have shit? You have all that shit. It's going to come going to go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's more about taking a negative and turning it into a positive and then right. trying to, you know, like I, I'd like to think that I'm always joking about the upward spiral. You know, if you can always go out there and try and find the positive stories in life and, right. and focus on those. Um, and so i suppose there that that's that's our latest ambition so i'm really hoping that this is this this next bit of work that we're doing with the ecologist report and the um and the the, the last few bits of information that we need will hopefully get us the planning permission to to convert and 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 build this uh, the thing is is that the grant is only a quarter that we're getting for this will only be a quarter of the price of the the the, the project itself but it will pay for itself in, you know, was the 10 years or so. And it, but at, at that point, then, you know, it's just a feels like a move in the right direction. Remember, I've yeah. always I've always dropped this line is you pass it on better than next generation and you got it yourself. You know, and I, I think that this is part of that equation, you know, for for ourselves, if we can kind of move towards being a more carbon neutral, if we can do numbers of other factors it- and, and move forward. That it respect. seems like a logical progression based on the way you and and your family and Gabine have been running. I mean, well, I think I think farming like... farming needs to in, in, in look at these. I mean, this is this is you know the, the times of of sort of cheap energy will will definitely change. I'd like to think that technology will come along and constantly keep bringing a solution to uh, and and probably you know help a, a change a frame of mind from from one to another to look and how to how to kind of continue. And to, you're, to the, do so. you're the you're the twenty first century man. Ha! You, really <laughs> are. you are. You're funny. You're good looking. You know how to do, you know how to talk like a like a real professor. <laughs> smart. You're a good cook. You make all this great stuff. And you're a knife maker. You're twenty. I can talk. I can talk. I can talk shit as well. If you <laughs> and then you could burn it up and run the house on it. You yes. Know? <laughs> I mean that's the next. That's the next step. How how can we talk and turn it into talking shit and turn it into power? That's hot really air. what it hot comes air. down to. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, if that's the case, I'm ready to fucking light up some houses. I'm ready to. I'm gonna put this podcast on that digester and talk all the shit I talk, and maybe we we'll run a couple engines. I think I've know? heard. I think I've heard of some people turning um, uh, public toilets into digesters. The, the biogas. They're actually taking the feces from from public toilets, and actually, there have been working examples of this. Um, and they're, they're using they're, they're using that gas to to the, the capture from. They got to figure power. something out. Yeah, they got to figure something out. They got to figure something out. It's going to smell bad though. Last no, it, question. No, it, t- it takes away, it takes away the smell. That's the interesting thing. Right, whatever yeah, whatever is spreading I mean, out. Germaphobes like me. Germaphobes like me are going to think like, oh, that smells like you know. 
So that, that's the interesting thing because you're, you're capturing you're capturing everything. It's a sealed box and unit. That gas then gets burnt off through the CHP generator, and what comes out the other end doesn't have the smells or any mm-hmm. of the other items because it's right. been, been I trust broken you. down. You know better than I do. I just don't want to. I know my shit. I know my shit. Turning the lights on. <laughs> I only turn the lights on in the house. It smells like a fart. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I don't want. I don't want to. Turn, I, don't want to I can just be like that. like Viz magazine. You know, you go flick the switch instead of click. Is a yeah, yeah. That's just what you don't need. That's all of a sudden all the millions and millions of dollars and man yeah. hours. Yeah, to you turn turn on the oven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's exactly what the human experience is. Is like all this time and energy, and it's people aren't going to want it because they think it smells like poo. <laughs> Last question. I've heard rumors, and you can, you can, whatever you want is. If you want to say yes, you want to say no, whatever it is. I've heard rumors that you might be joining me down in Barcelona at the end ah, of July. Is I was, I was hoping to. No, it's clashing. It's clashing with another event. Oh, so okay. sad, it's not. I actually okay. was all revved up. I was, I was talking to Tomer. I was, but then the other problem was there was no direct flight from my close airport, so I would have had to have driven to the other side of the country to get the the flight down. Well, so I'm that, glad that's I not, asked you because I, I was going to, I was going to sneak onto the the plane. I was actually not going to tell you, and I was going to hopefully walk. I in. heard, I heard. I, I felt like I needed to like put you, put you on the, put you on the hooks on, on this one. But it, you know, we'll figure. Well, yeah, I, I want to pass the cross, and yeah, yeah, you're, you've got to get your ass over here, and then, and then, or else we're it's, all going to have to meet up and, and Casa de Cra- Casa de Craig. <laughs> yeah, Craig's Craig's house. Well, yeah, mm. you know, we'll figure something. We got to figure something out. I know that it's just it's it's hard for me to go away for long. I'm not going for I'm going for four days, and you know, isn't there there's, there's there's an urge to travel and a fear of it all at the same time, isn't there? At this stage. Well, they're making it very. They're making it less fearful because now they've lifted. They've lifted the whole. You need to come back to the United States. You have to have a negative. You have to have a. You have to oh, have a not that. COVID not test. that. It's actually more the time away. You know, when you you actually you back yeah. up such a. I mean, listen. I think you and me are. We're, we're, and many people who are listening to this, we 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 just go back to back jobs, and work and and every hour right. that God gives us. You know, you you want. I mean, I actually. I mean, yesterday, Sunday, I mean, I, I've got, I, I got sunburned on my love handles yesterday, picking stones in my garden, you know, it's <laughs> I just never can't, ending. it's never ending. And, and it's all goes back to more is more. Remember my obsession with more is more. I know I, more yeah. is more. Yeah. So I'm, my, my, my burnt love handles are screaming. <laughs> burnt love handles. Fingal Ferguson is the best. He definitely one of my favorites. You have an open invite. Anytime you want to come on, you're always welcome. It's always wonderful to hear your voice and hear your stories. My dulcet Guys, tones. Yeah, in the dulcet tones. And next time you turn on that light and you hear a fart, <laughs> think of Fingal. Don't worry about that. Go to Fingal's website. And you can just follow him on Instagram and go watch The Small Steps with Sam Dunn and Rory Connor and Luca Scannell. Follow them. Those guys, Kala Forge and Rory and Dunn Blade Works. You know all those guys. So go watch that video and show some some love to award-winning film, award-winning film. Mm-hmm. And you know Gabine's the the way. Go go get yourself one of that that cookbook. It's a dynamite cookbook. I love that cookbook. Um, I love when you sent me the sausage and the and the cheese. It was amazing. <laughs> it was just so great, and we loved it. Hiding the salami. It. Hiding the salami. That was one. The fucking Border Patrol took it on me. So that's the way it is. Guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to do me a favor, go tell your friends about the Full Blast podcast. It helps me out. I got a lot of fun people coming up soon. And uh, that's it. So with thank you once again, Fingal Ferguson, you are my friend. And I'm oh, you're always, always, always a pleasure to have. Well, whoa. I'm with you. All right. See you guys. See you next week. 
This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. (laughs) 